Hey everyone, welcome to the Southside Church Podcast from Chilliwack, British Columbia, Canada. We're praying that hope would rise in your life as you listen to this message today. Sorry about the leaves. There's always next year. That's the leaves right there in a nutshell. There's always next year. Hey. I don't know how many times you've been told already, but I'm gonna repeat it. Because I wanna make sure the message is profoundly personal. Happy Mother's Day. This is a day of profound gratitude for me. I have an absolutely incredible mom. I was spending a little bit of time thinking about her this week. There was a time in my life when it felt like the world was stacked up against me but my mom was always for me and that made all the difference. There was a time in my life when I really thought that nobody in the world believed in me except I knew that my mom did and that made all the difference. So mom, I know you're traveling but you're gonna be watching this online later. I love you, I'm thankful for you, happy Mother's Day. And to the rest of the amazing mothers watching online or in person right now, in the words of Kevin Durant, when we're talking about your family, You're the real MVP. Happy Mother's Day. Happy Mother's Day. Let's hear it for the moms. So why is it, though, that there's times that the world does feel like it's aligned against us? That nobody believes in us? Why is it that life isn't sunshine and rainbows and smooth sailing? Well, the reason is quite simple, actually. The world is a lot more than meets the eye. Life is a lot more than meets the eye. Specifically, you and me, there's a lot more to us than meets the eye. You're more than brains and a body. I would say it this way. You're a deeply spiritual person living in a deeply spiritual world. In fact, the Bible says that you and I right now, we stand in the middle of a great spiritual battle That explains so much. That there's this battle going on. It's a battle of good versus evil. Light versus darkness. Hope versus despair. Peace versus chaos. Victory versus defeat. It's a battle of life versus death. God versus our spiritual enemy, the devil. And and what we've been trying to do the last few weeks is kind of look and ask ourselves, is there a way that we can align our lives to cooperate with, to experience life and hope and peace and goodness. Because the truth is for me, and I bet for you too, there's parts of our lives that we don't see a lot of that. There's parts of our lives where we see a lot of despair, darkness, chaos. And I think the reason is and we've been talking about it a little bit even the last two weeks, is I think it's actually possible for you and me to open a door to darkness, to open a door to defeat, to open a door to despair, to open a door to chaos in our lives. In fact, last week I kind of told you that for the next three weeks we were going to be talking about this, open doors and defeated lives. How can we open the door in our lives in such a way that it would lead us towards defeat. First John 
Chapter 2, 16 says this, For everything in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life comes not from the Father, but from the world. So last week we talked about the open door of pride. How the open door of pride can lead us towards a defeated life. Next week I want to tell you, I would really love it, whether you're watching online or whether you're here in person. Please make it a priority to join us next week. Please make it a priority to invite everyone you know to be here next week. You see, Mike, you always say that. I, I know I do, because we're trying to establish an invitation culture at this church. And we see it everywhere. And we really believe that when people step through the doors of this church, when they join us online at this church, it's not Mike Manis, it's not Leah Dirksen, that God's doing an incredible work. Specifically next week, I want to talk to everybody who has ever experienced a season, an era, or even a moment of heartbreak in their lives. That's all of us. I want to further suggest that those moments, those seasons, those eras of heartbreak that we walk through, they've opened doors in our lives. And what I want to talk about next week is I believe that instead of living our entire lives defeated, that we can actually find healing from those moments of heartbreak that we walk through in our lives and move forward to win, not to be defeated. But today, 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 I want to talk to you about the open doors known as the lust of the eyes and the lust of the flesh. Today we're going to talk about money and sex, which I think is hilarious on Mother's Day because... Some of you are joining us online right now. Some of you are here in person right now. And you're here because your mom made you come. And you're like, you've got to be kidding me. <laughs> like of all the weeks to show up, we're talking about money. The church is so weird about money and sex. Well, I want to assure you with one thing. I completely agree. No, I completely agree. I believe that over the years, the church has got money and sex really, really weird. And so what I want to endeavor to do, by the way, you're going to love it. If, this, if you're new-ish to church, you're going to love today. You're going to love it. This is what I want to do. I want to talk to you about God's actual plan around money and sex. It's not weird. It's anything but weird. Now, at the end of it, you will agree with me. You will say, well, that's not weird. You might not say, I'm jumping into that plan no matter what. I'm not saying that. I'm saying at the end of it, though, you will understand God's plan, and you will see that it's not as weird as churches have made it out to be over the decades. Make sense? And if, you're, uh, if you've been in church your whole life, you'll love this too. Money and sex in a non-weird way. Here we go. Lust. The lust of the eyes and the lust of the flesh. According to the Bible, it really comes down to lust or trust. Lust or trust. You're going to trust something in your life. You and I were made to trust. You, you, you and I were made that something would be the central pursuit of your life. Something would be the central pursuit of my life. Something would be uh, where we hang our hope on. The thing that we believe will fulfill us at the deepest levels. Okay, We're going to trust something. Further, you and I were made that the place that we would look to trust... The, the thing that we would make our central pursuit, where we would hang all, all our hope on, would be God, our heavenly Father, the one who loves you fully, completely, unconditionally, eternally, the one who has a plan for every aspect of your life and honestly wants to bring you into a place of blessing. 
The Bible says that when you trust God, when you trust God, when you make God the central pursuit of your life, everything else comes together. You find freedom. The problem is, if you choose not to trust God, you're not gonna like not trust anything. Something else is gonna become the central pursuit of your life. Something else is gonna become the place that you hang your hope on. And if you place your trust, your central pursuit of your life becomes anything but God, it goes from trust to lust. I've heard lust defined this way, the wanting and the wanting and the wanting and the wanting. That's lust. You try to make anything else the central pursuit of your life, you will end up wanting. You will wonder, why is this thing not meeting my deepest needs? Why is it not enough? What is going on? I still find myself wanting. And according to John in 1 John 2, 16, two of the places that we're most likely to look to to become the central pursuit of our lives, if it's not going to be God, is going to be money or sex. Money or sex. So let's jump in. The last book of the Old Testament. Malachi chapter 3. Some old preachers like to make a joke here and say Malachi was actually an Italian prophet and we call him Malachi. But I knew you wouldn't think that was funny, so I told it anyways. Would anyone rob God? Yet you are robbing me. But you say, how have we robbed you? This is God speaking to his people. In tithes and offerings, you are cursed with a curse, for you are robbing me, the entire nation of you. Bring the whole tithe into the storehouse so that there may be food in my house. And put me to the test now in this, says the Lord of armies, if I do not open for you the windows of heaven and pour out for you a blessing until it overflows. Then I will rebuke the devourer for you so that it will not destroy the fruit of your ground, nor will the vine in the field prove fruitless to you says the Lord of armies. All the nations will call you blessed, for you will be a delightful land, says the Lord of armies. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And the pinnacle of creation was people. The first man and the first woman were Adam and Eve. And he placed them in the Garden of Eden, in a place of complete and total blessing. Totally and completely fulfilled. Totally and completely full of joy and contentment and pleasure and hope. They're in this place called the Garden of Eden in a place of total and complete blessing based on this unbroken relationship that they had with God, their father, the source of all good things. In the beginning, God created people. He created us with with free will, obviously, because he wanted to have a love relationship with us. You cannot have a love relationship with anyone who does not have free will. You can't have a love relationship with Siri. So God placed us, placed Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden in this place of complete and total blessing based on this unbroken relationship with the God who made him. Okay? Page three of the Bible. Page three. Adam and Eve, in Genesis chapter three, use their free will, they exercise their free will to walk away from blessing. They went their own way. So God had placed them here. This is my, this is my powerful illustration for today, by the way. This is these two different spots. You wonder, what, what does Mike do all week? He thinks of these powerful illustrations, okay? So, so here they are. They're in this place of complete blessing. What do they do? They walk away. They walk here. 
Really, really important. Let me do that for you again. I know it's intricate, right? So I want to make sure you got it. So where were they? They're in this place of complete blessing. Hope, strength, pleasure, contentment, fulfillment. They exercise their free will and they walk away. Really, really important we get this because now God shows up in the Garden of Eden. And God announces a curse. Announces a curse. See, if we miss this, if we read that section too quickly, this is what we're going to think. We're going to think that the story goes something like this. So God loses it. He's so mad. He's so ticked off that he shows up in the garden and he lays down the law. He curses them because they went their own way. That's not the story. So let me do it for you again. This is really, really good. Here it is. They're in a place called blessing, complete and total blessing. They exercise their free will and they walk away. God shows up and he says, listen, this is really important. He says, this is where you are. You walk from here to here. And God says, I just want to tell you where you're at now. I just want to tell you where you walk to. So when you walk out of a place of blessing, you walk towards curse. And so God announced a number of curses. It's amazing how they have played out in culture today. I don't have time to go through every one of them. Curse called death, a curse called shame, enmity between men and women, pain in childbirth, moms, you're the real MVPs. Happy Mother's Day again. And then finally, a curse called scarcity. A curse on resources. This is when thorns and thistles made their appearance in human history. That this whole idea of provision, this whole idea of resources, would now be racked with discontentment, stress, and scarcity. God says, this is where you're at. You're at a place called discontentment, scarce, scarcity, and stress. That's where you're at. It's amazing, though, because if you read throughout the Bible, what you'll say is in every situation, in every one of those curses, God says, I want to bring you back. I'm going to show you a way back. Started here. Blessing. Okay. They walked away. I know, it's good. That's what I do all week, okay? So, so God says, hey, there you are. There you are. I think you should come back here. I think you'd like it. And God says, in the area of resources and finances, here's the way back. It says it in Malachi chapter three, tithes and offerings. How do you get back there? Oh, tithes and offerings. If I had to summarize it this way, I would say tithe is trusting God. A tithe means a tenth. It means what you do is you believe that everything you have comes from God. You bring the first tenth, the first 10% back to his house, back to the church, so that in turn, the church can bring hope and help to the world. Offerings is living generously, like over and above looking for opportunities to be generous. In fact, God says this, when you don't tithe, you're robbing me. What a statement. Have you really thought about that statement? When you don't tithe, you're robbing God. When you think of that statement, when you think of robbing God, the assumption must be you're taking something away from someone that they're going to miss, right? Something they'll find it difficult to replace. So is God short of cash? 
You know, like, is God up in heaven right now going, dude, I just wanted to pave my streets gold, but because you're a cheapskate, you know, the whole, the whole plan is off. No. If God wanted your money, he would beat you up and take your wallet. God's not short of cash. Okay, hold it, Mike. So how do we rob God? God wants to take you on a journey because he loves you. He wants to invite you on a journey and that journey is from here back to here. But he's not gonna force you to do it. So ultimately in our culture, this is how it works. For so often we choose, do I trust in God or is it the lust of the eyes? It's really hard, this concept of tithing. God says, I wanna bring you, I wanna show you a way back. I wanna show you a way back from here to here and it's called tithing. Think about how weird tithing is if you live according to the lust of the eyes. Money and stuff, money and stuff. Money and stuff has become my central pursuit. Think of how weird that is. You would never tithe. The more money you make, the harder it would be. Because you would think to yourself, think of all the cool stuff I can buy with that. Why would I ever do that? Now, what if though, what if, what if you trusted God? If you trusted God, this is what you would think. You would think, well, I could stay here and I could live on 100%, but I'd rather live here and live on the 90% that I have left over. In fact, I would suggest that God would bless me even more. You know who I've never met? Honestly, I'm pretty old, by the way. I know I don't look it, right? But I'm pretty old. I've never in my life met a former tither. I just haven't. I'm sure they're out there. I just, I've just never met one. And, and I think the reason why is when you get here, you, you like it here. You know, like stress, discontentment, and scarcity, not a fun place to live. But, but, but you get here and you find peace instead of stress. You find it contentment instead of a discontentment. You find this idea that, that true wealth, true wealth, true wealth isn't measured by bank balances or the cool car you drive. It's so much deeper and better than that. And then God says, and I want you to also be people of offerings. It just means people of generosity. Makes sense, right? So God has a plan for you. You think about this. Jesus said, it's more blessed you're more blessed when you give than when you receive. Amazing. So God says, when you, when you tithe, here's what I'm going to do. It's going to open your hands. You, you're going to live this open-handed life. Why? Oh, you'll be a blessing. Now, God's not really short of cash, but he delights in using what we have to do amazing, miraculous things, right? Loaves and fishes, you know, take two, two, two fish, five loaves, and feed thousands. God loves stuff like that, right? But also to bless you. That's what we want to be. We want to be a generous church. We really, really do. We, we, we want our city to kind of look and go, man, I don't believe a word of what those people at Southside believe, but I can really tell they believe what they say they believe. Oh, that'll change the world. If the world started looking at people who say they believe in Jesus, even if they didn't believe as we believed, if they started with this, I can tell they actually believe what they say they believe, the world would change. I guarantee it. I'd love the people in our city and in our world to look and think, man, I don't believe a word that they say, but I would sure hate it if that church disappeared. We want to be a generous people, you know? 
so Leah already mentioned it, but we've been getting a lot of calls, like a lot, a lot of calls. There's a food shortage in our city. The interesting thing about our economy currently is some of us are doing great, but there's people who are really, really struggling. There are people today who three years ago would never have dreamed of needing assistance, but today they do. Specifically, I want to suggest on this Mother's Day, there's single moms all over our city today going, I'm not sure how I can feed my kids. We want to be the church that you call and say, hey, we need help. Yeah, and we're going to help. So what we decided on, we decided on 60 pallets of food, three semi-truck trailers full of food. And if you know Southside at all, if you've been around at all, that commitment is already made and done. That's going to happen. Okay, so it's not like I'm up here going, man, that'd be such a cool goal if we could hit it. No, we've hit it already. We're going to do it. You say, well, what if the money doesn't come in? I don't know. We go broke. We fold the church. I'm not sure. But that's how we, we, we roll in faith here. When there's a need, we roll in faith. And so what, what I want to invite you into is I want to invite you into a place of generosity. I want to suggest that we show up for our city as generous people who love and serve a generous God. So that, even if they look at you and say, I don't believe a word you say, they know, they know, they know one thing about me, they know one thing about you, you believe what you say you believe. So, now that I've ticked a few of you off, I would just ask you this question though. It's a big question because I love you. It's a big question. If you've been in church a long time, if you've been around churches a long time, and when money comes up, it shreds your wheat, it just frosts your flakes every time, okay? I would just ask you honestly, as someone who loves you, ask yourself why. Why does it bug you? In light of the fact that we're talking about the fact that we kind of live in the middle of a great spiritual battle. And God has this plan for you and it's called blessing. And that happens when you trust him. So what is it about the whole money thing that ticks you off? Because Jesus talked about money all the time, right? Because what he knew is he knew that if there was one thing that was going to keep you here instead of here, it was probably going to be the lust of the eyes. This idea that my central pursuit, the number one goal in my life can be money. And by the way, churches get weird about money, so let's talk quickly about that. I think sometimes churches get weird about money. It's like if somebody comes up here and sings a good song, we say, man, good song. You sang awesome. We go to the ushers and say, man, you really ushed it. I can't believe how you ushed today. What a, you're great. You know, we go to the welcome team. You were shaking hands like nobody's business. Good for you, right? We go up to a small group leader and say, man, you are leading that small group so, so well. But then somebody gives and we all go, oh, uh, what do you mean, oh, uh? I walk up to people who give a lot of money. I'm like, dude. You're amazing at making money. That's so cool. That's a gift. Good job. And thanks for giving so much. Because it's not weird. Do you understand what I mean? Like money is not bad. Money's awesome. Money is awesome. People say, well, the Bible says that the mo- money is the root of all evil. No, the Bible doesn't say that. The Bible says, listen, 
The Bible says the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. In other words, when you try, it's great. It's a blessing. You can bless those closest to you. You can enjoy your money. You can be generous. You can trust God. You can take the journey from here to here with money. It's a beautiful thing. The only thing you shouldn't do is make it the central pursuit of your life. It doesn't work. And I would say this. If you've been in church for years and years and, and the whole topic of money frosts your flakes, just ask why. And I would also say this, tell, tell yourself the truth. Tell yourself the truth. Because there's certain things that we say that, that, you, that we kind of know aren't true. Like here's one, maybe no one's thinking this, but sometimes we walk in and someone talks about money and we think, oh, the church just wants my money. So, so I'll tell you something, if, if this helps you at all, we don't want your money. That's not why I'm up here. I love you, I wanna tell you the truth. I think it'd be really cool if you made this journey. I'm really using this one illustration I have, right? Like, but I, I, think, I think it would be really cool. But, but I'll tell you something, here's the deal. If you think, man, Mike's up there and he's talking about money because he wants my money and I don't, okay, here's what you can do, email me. Email me, mike at southsidelife.com this week. And, and if you think that I'm up here talking about money because I want your money, here's what I'll do. I'll send you a list of other churches that I really believe preach Jesus and are changing the world, and you can give to them. You can give to them. Because if that's what it takes to help you make this journey, I want you to do that. One more thing, if you're somebody who says this, oh man, you know, that whole money thing, the whole tithing thing, that's Old Testament. Jesus came and, and there's no such thing as a tithe anymore. You know that's not true, so stop saying that to yourself. You know that's not true. You know that when Jesus stepped into human history, this is what he did. He flipped the script and he raised the bar. He flipped the script. In other words, if your point is you don't have to give to be saved, you're absolutely right. You don't have to do anything to be saved. You just have to place your faith in Jesus. You don't have to go to church to be saved. You don't have to give to be saved. You don't have to be baptized to be saved. You don't have to believe a set of rules to be saved. You don't have to dot every I and cross every T to be saved. The only thing you need to do is believe in what Jesus already did. That's right, he flipped the script. Salvation is a free gift. And then he invites you on this journey. It's incredible, here it is. It's a journey from here to here. Why in the world wouldn't he want you to take that journey? He flipped the script and he raised the bar. So, for those of you who haven't yet ticked off, let's talk about sex, baby. Proverbs chapter seven. <laughs> As I stood at the window of my house, looking out through the shutters, watching the mindless crowd stroll by, I spotted a young man without any sense. Solomon's not saying this guy's stupid. What he's saying literally is he did not see this coming. What is about to happen to this young man, he was not prepared for the passion, the emotions, and the feelings that will rise up inside of him. Arriving at the corner of the street where she lived, we're about to meet a woman. And it's important that I tell you up front, this woman represents a spirit of lust. Okay, so this is not Solomon saying, it's all about chicks, man. The world was fine until chicks showed up. He's not saying that. This woman, by the way, Proverbs also has a woman representing wisdom. In this particular Proverbs chapter seven, 
the woman here represents a spirit of lust. It could be just as easy for Solomon to say this. Now he happens to be writing this to his son, but he could have said, a young woman is walking down the street and she turns the corner onto his street. Does that make sense? So this isn't about a woman. This woman represents the spirit of lust. It was dusk, the evening coming on, the darkness thickening into night. Just then, a woman met him. She'd been lying in wait for him, dressed to seduce him. Brazen and brash she was. She threw her arms around him and kissed him, boldly took his arm and said, I've spread fresh, clean sheets on my bed, colorful imported linens. My bed is aromatic with spices and exotic fragrances. Come, let's make love all night. Spend the night in ecstatic lovemaking. Soon she has him eating out of her hand, bewitched by her honeyed speech. Before you know it, he's trotting behind her like a calf led to the butcher shop, like a stag lured into ambush and then shot with an arrow, like a bird flying into a net, not knowing that its flying life is over. So this young dude doesn't see it coming, right? He's ambushed. That's the story of our culture. It's a story of our culture. Boys and girls walking around with porn in their pocket. As they carry their cell phones with them, they are not prepared for the passions, for the desires, for the emotions that are gonna rise up inside of them. And then the story of this young man, he didn't see it coming, did he? He didn't see it coming, but he went from uh, surprised to ensnared. So now, instead of being ambushed, he's chasing after this woman who represents, again, let me say, this is not about women or the problem, it's not about that, but now he's chasing after this spirit of lust. And there's many, many people. You're watching online, or you're here in person, and this is your story. And what I wanna tell you is this is not a sermon about defeat. This is not a sermon about shame. This is not a sermon about condemnation. This is a sermon about a simple invitation. It's the same thing as money. God says, you're here. I'd like to take you here. You don't got to. You don't got to. You can go to heaven and you can live your whole life right here. You really can. You don't got to, but God says you get to. So if you're sitting here right now feeling like you're a failure, that's not the point, and you're not. What you've done is not who you are. The mistakes you have made do not define you. You were ambushed like so many others have been in our culture, and now here you are. And God says, I wanna take you on a little trip. I wanna take you from here to here. See, because the truth is, God is a creator. God is a creator. The devil cannot create. Your spiritual enemy, the devil, can't create, but he counterfeits. So let's talk about that for just a couple minutes. God created sex. Sex is awesome. Sex is great. Again, the church over the years has gotten really weird with sex at times. It's like a youth pastor standing on a stage saying something like this. Sex is horrible and gross and dirty and disgusting. Save it for the one you love. sex is God's idea, right? God, create, like, God didn't show up in the Garden of Eden and catch Adam and Eve and go, what in the world is going on? 
No, God created sex. It's beautiful. It's a powerful expression of love. So God created love. The devil counterfeited with lust. Some people say, well, aren't love and lust the same thing? No, they're actually polar opposites. 1 Corinthians 13 says this about love. Love is patient. Love is patient. By definition, lust is the opposite. Lust says right now. Love is kind, according to 1 Corinthians 13, and yet lust isn't. Lust says, I want something from you. So let's talk a little bit more about the lust of the flesh. The lust of the flesh for some people is this, man. I want you because of the pleasure you can bring me. But for others, it goes way deeper than that. For some, it's like, I just want you to validate me. I just want you to make me feel worthwhile. I just want you to make me feel loved and this is the only thing I've ever been taught. The only thing I've ever been shown in my life, the only expression of love that I'm familiar with is this. Years ago, Cheap Trick sang this song. I'm really old so I know old songs. And the title of the song was, I Want You to Want Me. Pretty smart actually. I want you to want me. There's a lot of people in our culture today, they're profoundly lonely. profoundly lost and they feel ignored and they feel forgotten and they feel unseen and at some point they say I just want you to want me and this beautiful gift that God gave suddenly suddenly this beautiful gift that God gave suddenly becomes the central pursuit of my life and that's where it goes wrong Love is kind, doesn't envy. Lust, lust wants what it doesn't have. Love is selfless. Lust, by definition, is selfish. God created marriage. Marriage is amazing because marriage is this whole life commitment. This whole life commitment called marriage. And God said, I want to bring you to this place right here, okay? I want to bring you to this whole life commitment. And part of that thing called marriage, part of this whole life commitment is a whole life connection called sex. So God created marriage. The devil counterfeited with hookups, casual sex, and pornography. So what's the invitation? What's God's plan for sex? Well, it's the same as it was for money. He just says, I want to bring you back here. 1 Peter 2.11 says it this way. Beloved. I feel like stopping. Just for a second. And I don't know who you are, and I don't know where you've been, and I don't know what you've done. And I don't know if this sermon that I'm preaching fills you with any kind of guilt and any kind of shame. But I want you to know, God doesn't look at you that way. The overarching, listen to me, no matter who you are or where you've been or what you've done or what you believe, the overarching defining principle of your life is you are fully, completely, infinitely loved. That's it. 
Yeah, I'd love you to take a journey if you want to. If you want to, you can. That's the invitation. It's not an injunction. It's just a simple invitation. Beloved, I urge you as foreigners and strangers to abstain from fleshly lusts which wage war against the soul. The soul is your mind, your will, and your emotions. Your mind, your will, and your emotions. What will happen over time when you make anything besides God the central pursuit of your life, it'll wage war against your mind and your will and your emotions. So let's talk about sex specifically and marriage generally. It will misdirect your mind. Over time, what will happen is your mind will begin to become misdirected. I'll give you an example. So every morning when I do my devotions, in the back of my journal, I have a whole group of statements that I've written out, and I read them over every day because they're statements that I want to be true of me in my life. One of them says this, I will lay down my life for Corinne. That's my wife. I do not keep score. I keep giving. I will lay down my life for Corinne. I don't keep score. I keep giving. By the way, that's the recipe for a great marriage. Two people who don't keep score, but keep giving. But your mind can become misdirected. So for me, I believe that I was born to win. I know it's not always that simple, but in my marriage, I'm gonna really, really work hard to win. Your mind can become misdirected though. So all of a sudden you're here, right? And you start to look and you start to go, grass looks greener over there. Grass looks greener over there. Grass looks greener over there. And God says to you and me today, win. Win, you're right here. Win, water your own lawn. Stop looking around thinking the grass is always greener. You're right here, win. But our mind can become misdirected. Our will can become weakened over time. So there's goals and dreams that we all have about our marriage, about our family, about our kids, about our legacy, about our life. That's good. It's good to dream. But sometimes it requires us to take a step, you know, to start to, to take this journey, to take a step. But what happens is over time, if you ignore the invitation over and over again, you can stay here your whole life if you want. But it gets harder and harder and harder to start that journey. Your mind, your will, and your emotions your emotions can become the enemy. It's a, it's a story a lot, of, a lot of young men and a lot of young women and a lot of not so young men and not so young women in our culture. They were walking along one day and they were ambushed. And in, the, in, in terms of pornography, they saw something. And it elicited certain emotions inside of them. But over time, those same images, those same things didn't elicit the same kind of emotion. So what ends up happening is that we, we elevate. We elevate. So we started over here and we end up over here because our emotions become our enemy. See, I was born to win. You were born to win. And God's plan is that your emotions, that would, what would make you joyful? <laughs> what would make you full of anticipation? 
What would make you happy over time? Over time, if you ask God, here's his plan. His plan is winning would make you happy. That this journey, this journey, this direction would, what, would be what made you happy. Not an injunction, not about shame, not about, oh, you've made a... No, it's just an invitation. Is it, is it an invitation for yesterday or last week or last year or two years ago? No. God's not a God of two years ago. God's a God of this moment right now. And here's the invitation. Come back. Proverbs 3, 5, and 6 says it this way. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Trust. Make him the central pursuit of your life. Lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him, and he will direct your path. What's the path? You want to see it again? One more time. You're so lucky. Okay. There's the path. There's the path. Let's pray. With all heads bowed and all eyes closed, I just want to ask you, is today the day that you want to start that journey? Hey, we're not talking about two days ago. We're not talking about 10 days ago. We're not talking about 10 years ago. We're talking about today. Is today the day that you want to begin that journey? Here's what I know. God loves you right here and right now. God loves you fully, completely, and absolutely. So much so, in fact, that he sent his son, Jesus Christ. Jesus died and rose again. Everything that needed to be done for you to begin a blessed relationship with God, your heavenly father, has already been done. So if today is the day that you wanna begin that journey, place your faith in Jesus with all heads bowed and all eyes closed. Can you raise your hand right now? Because I want to pray for you right now. Incredible. Incredible. If you're online and it's safe to do so, I would love it if you could raise your hand also. Awesome. Let's put your hands down now. I'm going to pray out loud. And for those of you who just raised your hand, I invite you to pray silently along with me. So Jesus, thank you that I am so completely loved. Not by my innate lovableness, but by you. Your love is infinite. Thank you. I rest in that love today. So Jesus, today I ask you to be my savior. You died for me to give me a fresh start. I accept it today. Thank you. Today, Jesus, I ask you to be my Lord. You rose again to give me strength to take that journey, to take that journey to a place of blessing today, tomorrow, and forever. And Jesus, for all of us, for those of, for those of us who have been following you for years and years and years and years, God, we thank you. And if there's been areas of our life, Jesus, where we've been distracted and we've made something else the central pursuit and our trust in you is giving way, today we pray. First of all, we pray a prayer of declaration. Jesus, you are my hope. I trust you. I love you. Thank you for taking me on this journey. And we also ask for help. That it's so easy to get distracted. It's so easy to lose our way. I pray that you would help me to trust in you with all my heart, to lean not on my own understanding, to acknowledge you, and please, please, please direct my path. I love you, I thank you, in your name, amen, amen. Let's celebrate. So I wanna invite you again to enjoy all the festivities out there. Next week is going to be amazing. Let's talk about heartbreak and healing and 
Yeah, that was kind of funny. Nothing funner than heartbreak. Well, it is going to be good, okay? We got a prayer team up here. If you need prayer for anything at all, they would love to pray for you. We'll see you next week. Happy Mother's Day. Thanks again for listening. To hear more messages like this one, make sure to subscribe and check out our podcast channel for past episodes. And to stay up to date with all things Southside, follow at Southside underscore church on Instagram. We love you guys. The best is yet to come.